Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Most of you will be familiar with the Attorneys Liability Assurance Society, also known as ALAS. For those of you less familiar, ALAS is the country's largest lawyer-owned mutual insurance company, insuring 223 law firms, including 89 of the AMLA 200. Today's guest is Carmen Ballou, Vice President, Data Analytics and Innovation at ALAS. A lawyer with a Master of Science and Analytics degree from the University of Chicago Graham School, Carmen's current role is focused on a key element of the legal profession, risk management. She uses her legal background and technical skills to lead the data analytics team at Alas. Their goal? Instilling more robust risk management-based analytics across all functional areas of Alas and providing analysis and tools for use of their member firms. The analytics initiatives are designed to assist in Alas's ongoing operations and to provide a service to Alas's member firms by helping them understand and manage their professional liability risk. Mostly, though, we talked about how our team uses data to test and support the experiences of her loss prevention colleagues. We also talked about the use of data visualization techniques to help communicate the messages learned from the data as to a firm's area with the most issues. And of course, we talked about her professional journey and how her interest in project management and data analytics instructed her personal path. It was a really interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Carmen, welcome. Thank you for making the time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here, Stephen. Yeah, it'll be great. I look forward to our conversation. So you are the Vice President of Data Analytics and Innovation for Alas. For listeners who may not be that familiar with Alas, I would think most of them are, what is Alas and what does it do? So Alas is a legal malpractice company. We are mutually held by our members. Uh, Right now, we insure 223 law firms, uh, including 89 of the AMLA 200, insuring over about 74,000 attorneys. I'm curious, uh, and I've had the privilege of working back when I was running the firm, I had the privilege of working with Alas, and you guys are just great partners in the business. It's just, it was tremendous to work with you. You're mutually owned, as you said, which is a relatively unique structure among legal malpractice carriers. Does that, particularly as you think about innovation and data analytics, does that structure facilitate a a slightly different mindset, a more focused mindset for you or for the, for a last than a typical I've never worked with a typical commercial line of insurance. So I don't, I don't really know what I'm asking here. Right. No, I I think it does, Stephen. I I think that it has informed uh, some of the direction on the data analytics side. Because we are mutually held, there's a couple things that I get to do. One, actually, I can have conversations with our member firms, telling them some of the data analytics work that we've done, the platform that we've built it on, you know, even algorithms we've used, techniques that we have used, and freely share that information actually with our member firms. So, it's kind of fun because it's a little bit less competitive, right? I could actually uh, have conversations with data innovation, KM professionals at firms and talk about that. 
I would say, though, the other uh, more strategically, it informs the direction of our data analytics work because it's not necessarily about just a purely underwriting focus. We're not looking there to just kick firms in and ring them out. I'm really there and a lot of my focus is just on the risk management. How can we help firms better manage their risk internally and what insights can my group bring to that table to help law firms better prevent a legal malpractice claim? What is the role of data in this function? You've worked hard to develop a sophisticated data analytics program. What's the role and what's the value that brings into this risk management conversation? So we've been at this a couple of years as a more sophisticated data analytics profession. And a lot of what we've done to date has actually been testing a lot of the theories that my loss prevention colleagues have been going out and talking to firms about. I mean, it's been messaging that they've been giving for a while. They like to talk about, say, a lone wolf, <laughs> you know, somebody who's working all by themselves. Oh, I remember the lone wolf theory. Yes. <laughs> You're sending shivers up and down my spine, Carmen. <laughs> but we've been able, we've done some data mining on it. And we've essentially been able to say, yes, they were right. So we could add some numbers to that. And then it gives, I think, you know, the general counsel's office, the loss prevention offices at those firms, you know, a little more backbone to be able to say, listen, this isn't just sort of casual advice. Alas is actually saying that it is, you know, legitimately increasing your risk when you have too many of those players, when you're not monitoring them. So turn around and listen to the advice that Alas is giving you about ways to bring those, you know, lone wolves of siloed offices into your broader practice and, and help them with their risk management. It's interesting you say that. Uh, my experience, and I, I don't have experience using data in, in the loss management world, not like you have, but we facilitate data analytics at the firm. And it does change the nature of the conversation, doesn't it, when you've got numbers and hard information that backs up your theory. I mean, you know, the lone wolf is a perfect example. It makes complete sense when you talk about it, but I suspect the nature of the conversations you're having are very different and more robust when you've actually got hard data to support it. Yes, yes. So that's that's been one of the advantages is that we, we could really then give our loss prevention colleagues a lot more, you know, right, some stats to put out there to talk to, you know, and, and give management committees, you know, just ways to look at things a little bit more closely. What advice do you give firms on what type of data analytics they should be doing internally on the loss management side? Yes, that's a good question. I thought we were going to talk more broadly, actually, when you started that about data analytics, because that's we're going to get, we're gonna get to the broad. <laughs> we could start broad and work narrow no, whichever you okay. want. No, we can start there. And so I will say a couple of things uh, on what they've done for risk management. One is when I can help, I have been. So actually, one of the first products actually uh, that came out of my group was something called DataView. And so it largely actually, it, it gave a visual component to the claims and the matters that our law firms had submitted to us. It was basically just a data portal of what are those claims that you've submitted to us. And so firms then could see it by which offices are having the most issues, which area practices are having the most issues. So some of those things they could have tracked themselves, but I mean, I say that on a, you know, my health insurance. I don't always know exactly how far away I am from the deductible or which of my kids has cost the most money, but you go to that portal maybe 
data and you can see some of that. So it's the same idea that where I can, I am actually doing my best to provide that information back to the firm so they don't have to do that themselves. But I know that several are, are taking that beyond. I mean, it's it's very hard to standardize practice group areas, for instance. And so we can't specialize that to each firm. So I know that several take the information that I give and add to that. They do a deeper dive on which practice group it was, what the type of mistake it was that somebody made to really track that information themselves. So let's take the broader view. Talk a little bit about data analytics generally and the role it plays in whether loss management or just generally in the practice. Yes. I mean, it's been fun to see the growth of data analytics at law firms. I mean, and I think it's been interesting. And so often I'll I'll go with sort of our loss prevention group to actually say, oh, you're starting this new thing. Here's some things you should watch out for. Because there's this world in which I think there's conflicting professional responsibility tensions, I think, with the data analytics groups and the growth of this sometimes, right? You have this sometimes a duty of competence almost to know exactly what these deals have looked like. That's why they you know, sometimes maybe that partner was brought online because they had that 20 years of experience. And now sometimes clients are expecting that to be in a database that you can access. But there's that conflicting right duty of confidentiality. And that might be in the outside counsel guidelines. And then you get into data privacy concerns and how you capture that data and, you know, some algorithmic bias issues. And what happens if somebody asks for their data to be pulled back? How do you keep that model working? So I think I, I empathize a lot with the data analytics that are being spun up at firms. I think it's probably necessary. You know, it's required in this environment. But at the same time, we recognize that there's some very competing tensions that are going on as they make those efforts. How do you go about resolving those tensions? Because you identify them beautifully and everybody struggles with them. And you, you, I don't see a lot of movement on maybe I'm not that familiar with individual state regulators, not like last would be. But I haven't seen a lot of movement to resolve those inherent conflicts between, you know, algorithmic biases and competency and confidentiality and expectations of clients. It's a complicated mishmash, isn't it? It really is. And actually, that's, I, I'm not sure I have all of the answers there. I, I think it's, it's not unlike, you know, often we work through conflict issues with other, with other, with firms. You know, it's a complex conflict issue. And, you know, how you set up all of those, there's, there's not always, you know, one right answer to how you set up your database, how you track all of that information. But it's certainly something we've been willing to work with firms to think about how they capture information information and and resolve those competing issues. We're getting a little off track here from where I thought we'd go, but just bear with me. As you guys look out in terms of risk management, is this area of data management and putting aside data privacy issues, which are obviously foremost in people's minds, these conflicting issues you're talking about, the confidentiality, the bias in the algorithms, do you see that as sort of the next frontier of risk management challenges for LAS? I don't know that I could speak to LAS that it's the, you know, the next frontier. I will say, I mean, I think about a couple things, though. There is a world in which actually, now, maybe it's because they're my peers, but 
I think what's going on in, you know, in KM groups, in innovation and data, actually very exciting even from a risk management level, because I think that some of those groups can help with a few things. I mean, they can help resolve that duty of technical competency. I mean, and and how do you do that? I think they can, I mean, the world of... (laughs) As you know, you're on you're on there talking to them every week. The world of like legal tech has exploded right so fast, right? We now have a legal tech hub just to track it. And so I think to the extent to which there's a duty of competence, maybe to use a technological tool to do it. I do think that some of these groups, the KM, the innovation groups, could be an arm somewhat of the GC's office and helping them sleep at night in terms of we are evaluating what tools we should be doing. We are evaluating how to do this, these materials. And, you know, I think I think a lot of the work in the maybe some of the KM groups are doing to create templates, to create standards can, again, sort of help on a risk management level. They can make sure that the messaging being presented from the firm is consistent and the materials being used are consistent. So I personally, and not just because they're my peers and my friends, I do think the growth of these groups can benefit law firms a lot on a risk management level. The other thing I would say is actually uh, the other one that I think has been interesting to see is the growth of some of the standards. Say, for instance, Sally. And Alas is a member of Sally at some of our member firms are involved there. Because again, I, I do think that, and you referenced data management in your question, that you know if we can create standards, and I'm about to drop another term I know you heard back in your day, Stephen, the dabbler, right? Oh the my person. God. You're, just, you're, just, you're just freaking me out now, Carmen. <laughs> that person is sort of working outside of their area of expertise, we have to refer to. But if we can better sort of identify what are those matters, you know, that people are working with? And, you know, I, I don't think Sally is perfect. And a lot of firms have had to tweak it to sort of get to more, you know, matter classification and other terms themselves. But even just on that practice group, what are you working on? And you can match that to what's this attorney's area of expertise. And attorneys are always learning and growing. None of us are saying you can only do the same thing for 20 years, but maybe that's the type of matter that you could in turn create a flag for that says, oh, hey, you know, we need to have somebody else working with this person on that, taking a second look at them because this is a a new area. So I do think in that sense, some of the data management tools that are out there and some of the legal standards will be a help for risk management. I go back to your uh, observation on the KM or innovation people. And, and like you, I have a lot of friends that are involved in this area. I know the needle they try to thread, which is similar to what we've been talking about, mm-hmm. is this, particularly when you're talking about the implications of emerging technologies, which is, does it work? But work defines as, as oftentimes for people who are trying to resist it, is, is it 100% perfect as opposed to, is it as good or better than how humans would touch it? How do you see KM folks resolving that tension? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think as we sort through some of these tools, I mean, I did practice for seven years and I remember as a summer associate, right, being tossed a stack of corporate documents to say, tell me if there's anything important in there and tell me if anything is better. And I'm, I'm relieved that now there's technological tools that could quickly identify these documents are different or this is key terms because 
that wasn't something that that's that's difficult as um, you know to actually be able to the human brain can't remember that many terms across that many documents so i think as an enhancement then to that practice of law these tools are beneficial and and at times you know it, it, but it will always be attention right what does require the person what does require the human intervention and what is the appropriate place for a technological tool so you started at Skadden and you worked with Skadden for six years or so, and then you took some time off. You didn't come back to the private practice. You came back into uh, uh, healthcare insurance? Yes. What was that decision making like? That's an interesting movement in a career. Sure. I will say I was never quite sure I loved being a lawyer. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> I know you have. I know you have. <laughs> So it, and I did, I did actually well as an attorney, uh, when though I got to wear a, like a project manager hat or I got tossed into the technical side of discovery. But when they really wanted me to be a lawyer and draft a formal legal memo and a brief, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> and so I did take the opportunity and, and I know, right, the pathfinders, I'm not sure I've heard as many stories on this. I did take about four years off with my kids when they were little. And I'm, side note, slightly grateful that some of these on-ramp and other programs have emerged to help people uh, return from those, those breaks. But Some of them are great, aren't they? Yes, they are. They are. But it was during that four years that I actually heard the term data scientist for the first time. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds very cool. That sounds like something I would love to do. So I, I came back, actually, yes, as you know, first I uh, was at a hospital in the legal group working project management and also on their, with their internal insurance and definitely started to kind of whet my appetite for more and more analytics. When I got to a last then landed there and we couldn't get all the data. We had kind of a homegrown system that we couldn't get everything out from the standard reports. And it's at that point, I taught myself SQL, Power BI, would call people into my office sort of saying, hey, what do you, you know, look at these cool things that we could do if, if we wanted to. So that was... Sounds like a law firm to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've heard this story before. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I mean, it's been it's been great though to be able to match right this. I guess right. I always I always felt like my brain was a little bit more quantitative, uh, and but be able to still use this domain knowledge that I had from practicing and and put it together then at at LS. Are you the first VP of data analytics and innovation? Yes, I am. So I would say when I would call people to my office and say, look at cool things that we're doing around the same time, actually, our board was saying, you all have, you know, the largest set of legal malpractice data, do more with it, dig into it, help our firms more on the risk management side. And so I did raise my hand and say, you know, I'd love to lead that initiative. And so that was the growth of it. Uh, we started basically about four years ago, this time with one other employee and me um, in terms of building this data analytics practice. And now we're actually up to about nine people in our group doing the data analytics work for Alas. So let's take the loss management component sort of out of it. Your journey in building a data analytics team is similar to a journey many firms are on. A lot of, a lot of what you talk about is I both experienced personally and heard generally 
What advice do you give people who, who want to do better at data analytics within their organization, who, who want to build out a function? What, what, what have you learned that you can share with people to help them on their journey? I would say a couple of things. So one is we did start largely on a visual side. You know, our first employee was a Power BI developer that attorneys are visual. So they putting information in front of them in a visual format is definitely helpful. That said, I will say they don't always know exactly what they want. Don't always know? Yeah. <laughs> How about never know? <laughs> it is. So my other piece of advice is always uh, the longer we do pretty visuals in front of them, the more they're, they're giving us feedback about, oh, I wish it looked like this instead. So they definitely can learn. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I will say so on the visual side, I mean, some do have a lot of experience from trial practice, right? Putting big materials up on a screen. So, so yeah, some, fair some do have that familiarity. I think, you know, in the end, we've, we've tried to build incrementally, um, which a lot of people, you know, have talked about that do a small win, get your initial, you know, your get your first players who are interested to buy in and then continue to build from there. And I'll give maybe one example. The idea I had to sort of write show people their claims experience, right? Just a dashboard, just a business intelligence tool, nothing fancy. But we weren't used to displaying that information graphically and having people log in to see it. So actually, we made it as a PDF that we could send out, but immediately actually had some law firm people say, but I want to log in and pull that out myself. So it was very much an incremental item that we took basically a PDF with some visuals on it, but got that feedback of, well, wait a minute, I don't want to have to call you to get a PDF. I want to log in and be able to get it for myself. And that led to kind of our our first product, which was an interactive dashboard that people could see those trends for themselves. Your story about how the board said, we've got all this data, go forth and use it, is reminiscent of what you hear from clients or from boards of law firms. We've got all this information we should be using it better. And one of the barriers, and, and maybe you encountered this, and maybe you didn't, but one of the barriers law firms have is, yes, they have a lot of data, a lot of information. It's not always clean, and it's not always in a format where it can be easily used. I don't know if you had similar problems, but if you did, sort of how did you overcome them and what guidance to give for people who are, who are grappling with that, which, which could be a non-starter for people who want to use data? Yes, it is. It has definitely been a challenge, like with everything and, and right. So much law firm data and our data was in unstructured form. It's in text. It's in word. It's in paper documents. It's in emails. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think, you know, as we've gotten more sophisticated, we've been able to actually leverage kind of, you know, the old software development techniques of making sure that we're creating repeatable functions that we could use again. So we are trying to develop, you know, a is a data science NLP technique often called fuzzy matching, just to like match names of entities across um, and be able to get that. But, you know, we've now designed it in a way that we can turn that on for not just company names, but, you know, actually for uh, place names, because people like to spell Albuquerque five different ways. I mean, so we've, <laughs> we've definitely, we've definitely had those exact same struggles often. Um, and as we've gone out and gotten more third party data, we often find that some of that is really good. And some of that, again, even if it's clean third party data, we've got to match it to our data as much as possible. So it's, 
I mean, I think everybody says it's the unsexy part of, of data science that 80% is data cleaning, but it's unfortunate and it's kind of just the way it is. But we've done our best to make sure we're at least, if we do it once, you know, we've, we've used techniques to make sure we can do it again and do it faster the next time. As you are able to use data and people see the value of it, do you see their behavior change in terms of how they put data into the system? Because, oh my goodness, if I'm going to use it, I better get the task codes correct. Have you seen that behavioral change? Yes. I, I think we have. I think we have definitely that people have started to understand that, right, you can't spell Albuquerque five different ways if you want it to be able to search on Albuquerque. And I think we're starting to, right, understand the value of structured data sometimes a little more and more that you can't sort and filter on something. If you've let people enter zero typed as zero and zero typed as zero and zero typed with a parenthesis after it, it's just going to take us longer to work with it. They're going to have a harder time searching to find zero. So we're definitely seeing, you know, even just internally at Alas, more interest in capturing our own clean data. But we get data from our member firms. And as we've been able to use that data more and give them advice, their risk management, their loss prevention, they've been a lot more willing to give us data, give us clean data that we're able to work with as well. One of the opportunities of using data is to move from being able to figure out what has happened to be more predictive as to what's going to happen. And it sounds like you guys are more advanced than most organizations in terms of using data to predict in the risk management field, what could happen, whether it's a lone wolf or the dabbler or all these terms. How do you see your member firms moving as they move towards use of data for predictive analytics? I think it's going to be a challenge. And and the truth is, Stephen, I mean, certainly their legal malpractice risk is always just one component of the overall work that a firm does. And, And that's just going to be the case. So even if I will say headed into 2023, we want to really dig into the profile of a client and what is that profile of a law firm client that might provide more insights to firms in in selecting which clients they want to bring on. But I think Alas is pretty honest that, you know, we understand that we will always just be one input. I mean, the risk of legal malpractice will always be counter battle that's against, you know, the reputation, the revenue, the all the other factors that a law firm uses in deciding whether or not they want to select a client. But we are certainly hopeful that we can be giving them more information about that legal malpractice that they can then factor in to those decisions of, is this a good new client? Is this a good new matter for us to be taking on? And, and I know that that client intake process looks different at all sorts of different firms, but we hope that they're doing it well and we hope that our analysis will be one part of that component. One of the values of being in a last member is the communication You've you've sort of touched on it, but the education, the communication, I presume you you present at partnership meetings, you present to executive committees, you put on conferences. Talk a little bit about sort of some of the educational components of the data side of Alas and the value you're offering uh, your members. Sure. I'll give you just a couple. I mean, one is actually we did another kind of BI tool that actually included some data science components that let firms just see 
what are my peers selecting for their insurance coverage? And so we did some data science work to actually group firms together with other similar practice groups, other similar profiles. So that's another tool that they have available to them that they can use in terms of selecting their insurance limits, their coverage. We put out our data science findings in a product we call the LS Edge. And there we make sure that we always have a picture, always have a visual with our data science findings accompanied with the text. So whether you're a lawyer that likes to learn with pictures or with words, that you have that. But then, as you mentioned, Alas does do a lot of uh, conferences and other things. And we are excited because we are doing a conference the end of February that is an innovation and data conference uh, for the Alas members. And that conference is the hope is to touch on some of the things that we've talked about, really a twofold goal. One is reminding the innovation data KM professionals of these professional responsibility risks. And as they spin up a new product or they are taking something new to market, are they thinking through conflicts and all those other issues that they need to be thinking about as they make new products available to their clients. And so that's that's one focus of the conference. And then the second is to talk about what are some ways that people, that the KM, you know, legal process management people can help the general counsel's office sleep better at night. Alas, driving from long materials of risk management, the checklist manifesto. We have a whole bunch of checklists available. But if you could snag one of those LPM people for a little while to actually automate that process for you, all these no-code solutions, and make some of these processes built in to the deal, to the litigation, I think is an idea. And so we're hoping that at this conference, we can get people talking about both of those. One, what's the risk of some of these data and innovation groups, but also how can, how can the GC's office, how can risk management professionals leverage them to also improve their risk management profiles at their firms? Well, it sounds like a uh, sounds like a great conference, and for those listening who are Alas members, you should absolutely go. Thanks, because I've been to a number of Alas conferences, and they're always great information and, and well done. And I'm sure this one will be as well. Thank you, Carmen. We're out of time. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed the conversation. You're doing some really cool stuff at Alas, and look forward to continuing to uh, work with you and your team. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. I enjoyed the conversation as well. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.